Two weeks ago, we launched a sermon series entitled, How Firm a Foundation. The goal and ultimate outcome of this sermon series is for us to explore, as the people of God here at Coral Ridge, what it means to operate and live with a biblical worldview. A worldview is simply the framework, the lens by which we view all of life and reality. And as I've mentioned the last couple weeks, it's not a matter of whether you have a worldview. The question is, what is informing it? To have a biblical worldview means the frame and lens by which you view all of life and reality is grounded and informed by the infallible word of God. Each week in this sermon series, we'll be unpacking a foundational truth of scripture. Last week, we looked at the foundational truth of creation and how creation informs the creation that God created the heavens and the earth informs all of life. And the foundational truth of this week will be the sovereignty of God. We'll be looking at a seminal passage, Romans chapter 8, in particular verses 28 through 32, and then skipping ahead to verses 38 and 39. There are some passages in the scripture that are central to a particular doctrine. And I'd like to argue that pertaining to the sovereignty of God, that Romans chapter 8 is one of those passages, seminal and central, for us to understand the foundational truth of the sovereignty of God. This is God's word, verse 28 of chapter 8. And we know, if you have a pen, underline that phrase, and we know. Aren't you glad we can come to the word of God and have assurance and certainty? Paul says, and you can know. Know what? That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order to be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. That's known as the golden chain of salvation. And we'll unpack that in a few moments. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not? With him, graciously give us all things. Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, Paul is leaving no room for any questions concerning the things that might happen to us in this life. Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the grass withers and the flower surely fades, but the word of our Lord, no, the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. If you can imagine for a moment that the attributes of God, the truths concerning God are like a buffet, the sovereignty of God is the carving station, which happens to be my favorite. 
But it is the sovereignty of God which is foundational to not only the Christian life, but the sovereignty of God is foundational to understanding who God is. And now you might be here this morning and saying to yourself already, I came this morning for something practical. You don't know what happened to me this week. I want to make the case, and I hope that you leave here today saying the sovereignty of God in my life is the most practical truth that I could ever rest my feet upon. It affects everything. The sovereignty of God, whether you realize it or not, impacts your parenting, marriage, business, leadership, everything in all of life. Listen to me. I'd go insane if it was not for the sovereignty of God. I certainly couldn't be a pastor. It is the sovereignty of God that grounds us and keeps us rooted. I'm sure you've noticed that things in the world are not going very well. And even the most optimistic people might look around and ask the question, what's happening? Is anyone in charge? Paul says, and we know, we know. Paul, what do we know concerning the sovereignty of God? The first thing we know is this, God is in charge. The sovereignty of God teaches us that God is the ruler. He reigns, he governs, he is the king, he is the Lord, and none of his leading is contingent on his creation. Very simply, he doesn't have to ask for permission for anything he does. He is in charge. In verse 28, Paul says, all things, not some things, not the things that you think only God should be concerned about. I remember as a child thinking, surely God is not concerned with my little life, my insignificant life. No, Paul is saying for the children of God, he is at work in all things, all things. He is not distant and aloof. He is the, not the watchmaker God of deism, removed from everything happening in the lives of his children. But here's the problem. Because if we're honest, we go on the one hand, I hear you, pastor, God is sovereign and in control of all things, but I look at my life and I don't see him. I actually see bad things happening in my life. Note that verse 28 is not read that all things are good. No, most of the time, things are bad. It doesn't say all things are good. It says that God is working all things for good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And what is the ultimate goal? We read in the next verse that the ultimate goal for the children of God is to be conformed into the image and likeness of his son. That means that the process of sanctification and being conformed might actually hurt. And unlike most parents in North America that safeguard their children from danger or hard things, God our Father actually loves us enough to let us go through the trials, but with the hope and the assurance 
that he's working even the bad things for his good and his purpose. Not your purpose, not my purpose, but his purpose so that you look more like Jesus and less like yourself. And regardless of whether you understand this or not, this is the most comforting truth. This is the most comforting reality to wake up every day and know that you're not in charge, but God is. That your life is not in your hands, but your life is in the hands of the almighty God. Your life is in the hands of a good God involved in every detail, and so that means that there is no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as things being random. This is the greatest of all attributes. You say, pastor, but I thought love was the greatest attribute of God. Could you imagine the frustration if God was not sovereign, if he was not able to sovereignly exercise that love? It is the sovereignty of God that allows him to exercise his goodness and his love. And nothing will stop him. He does whatever he pleases. So what are the practical implications that God is in charge of all things? Well, there's a myriad of them, but let me give you two in particular. One, it leads us to worship. I don't know about you, but it's hard to worship a wimpy God. I don't know about you, but it's hard to worship a God that is not in control of all things. I have no interest or desire of worshiping a God that is helpless and pitiful. It is the reality of the sovereignty of God that leads us to the proper place of worship, that leads us to have the proper deference. God, you're in control, and you're king, and you're sovereign. I bow before you as my Lord. It leads us to approach him with the proper honor and reverence that he is due. The second implication of many is that it gives us confidence you don't have to live a life full of fear and anxiety. Whether you realize it or not, we have PhDs in anxiety. We are experts in fear and in worry. You might be the type of person that you think if something bad is going to happen or something bad could happen, you assume that it will happen. For the child of God that is rooted and grounded in the sovereignty of God, it gives us an assurance and a confidence so that we don't have to live our lives with what I call the what if question. What if the market crashes? What if the storm hits? What if I don't get into that college? What if, what if, what if, what if, as if it's all about you. He's in charge and you're not. I have to make a confession, but even as your pastor, there are times I lie awake at night and I ask the question, how am I going to lead this church responsible for employees and the, the souls of so many people? Are we going to raise enough funds for the capital campaign? And over and over again, consumed with the question. And then I'm reminded of the very words of our Savior. I will build my church and I can imagine God looking down saying, Pacienza, you just work here. Go to bed. (laughs) 
He's in control of all things. What a comforting truth for our anxious souls. The second thing the sovereignty of God teaches us, what do we know? God does everything. Verses 29 and 30, this golden chain of salvation reveals that God not only is in control of all things in the world in a general sense, but even in your salvation. The most precious gift for the children of God is to have the gift of eternal life. And 29 and 30 of chapter 8 reveal that God is not only sovereign generally, but he is sovereign specifically even in your salvation from beginning to end. Now, there's a lot of questions we have about the origin of all things. We talked about creation, and hopefully that cleared up a lot of things for you last week. But the one thing we know for sure that you had nothing to do with being born. You didn't choose the day or the time or the parents or the hospital. You just arrived and you had nothing to do with it. So it is with your salvation. And verses 29 and 30 reveal the sovereignty of God in your salvation from beginning to end. You see, Paul unpacks for us some key words here. He uses a word called foreknowledge. It says that God foreknew. Those that he foreknew, those are the ones that he predestined. Now, you might look at that and say, well, of course that's how he predestined. Uh, The foreknowledge of God is simply God looking down the corridor of time, and he knows who will choose him and who will not choose him. That is the basis of his predestined plan of salvation. But that's not the definition of foreknowledge here. The definition of foreknowledge here is the same definition of knowledge in the Old Testament. For instance, in Genesis, when we read that Adam knew Eve and conceived a son, it wasn't that Adam knew a lot of information about his wife and boom, there was a baby. Knowledge is to love. Knowledge is to love in an intimate sense. And so the true definition of foreknowledge here in Romans chapter 8 is to love in advance for those God loved in advance before the foundation of the world. Those are the ones he predestined. Whole different meaning for us. And Paul goes on to say, from beginning to end, he foreknew and he predestined. What does predestined mean? It simply means that He chose us, and we didn't choose him. But pastor, I remember the day I chose God only because he first chose you and changed your will and desire to choose him. He called us, he justified us, and he glorified us. And all of these words you see is all referring to the work of God in salvation. And did you notice the tense? They're all in the past. As if to remind us that you had nothing to do with it and you'll have nothing to do with your salvation. But why is glorified in the past tense? Pastor, isn't that something that will eventually happen to me when I get to heaven, when I'm in my glorified state? That's the point. Paul wants us to know that even the end of the story, even the end of our process of salvation, even that, is in the bank, completed, so that we would never live by the fear or with the question 
that we could ever somehow lose our salvation. You can't perform the work to get in and you can't perform the work to get out. From beginning to end, God is sovereign in our salvation. What are the implications of this truth? Well, one, it motivates our evangelism. Do you know how many people I talk to and they say, if God is sovereign from beginning to end, then why bother sharing the gospel? On a very practical note, I say it was a Presbyterian minister that started the largest evangelism ministry in the world. The reason? Because he believed in the sovereignty of God. You see, there's often in our lives people that we say they will never become a Christian. Too far gone, too far lost too far beyond the grace of God. But none of these people, if God is sovereign, are a challenge to God. Why? Because it's not up to them. It's not their choice. He does whatever he pleases. So if I know that no one is so far removed from the grace of God, and it's God that does the choosing, that actually motivates me even more to go out there and share the good news of salvation because it's up to God. Think about it for yourself. How did you end up in the family of God? I know some of you and you know me. It's a miracle that we're in. Therefore, it's a miracle that anyone is in because God does the choosing. It motivates our evangelism. The second implication that God does everything in our salvation, it grounds our assurance This is what is referred to as eternal security or the perseverance of the saints. It is the basis of his sovereign love that grounds us, that keeps us. And the only reason we persevere is because of God's preserving sovereign grace in our lives. It prevents us from saying, he loves me more today because I did this. But it also prevents you from saying, he loves me less today because I did this. The saints persevere because God perseveres, preserves to the very end. God is in control of everything. God does everything. But the question that I want to leave you with this morning is how do we know? How do we know it will be worked out for the good of his children? Thirdly and lastly, God is sovereign, but he's also faithful. The sovereignty of a faithful God gives us the assurance that he will work all things for our good. Look what it says in verse 31 and 32. It reveals a fierce, faithful love that God, the sovereign God of the universe has for his children. In verse 31, for instance, he asks this question, What then shall we say to these things? Remember the context. He's writing to Christians getting crushed in the first century. And they're saying, Paul, look at all these things happening in my life. And so a very appropriate question. What shall we say in light of these things? How do I know that sovereign God will be faithful to the end? And then he answers that question in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously with him give us all things? The answer of verse 32 is so profound. Paul is declaring that God can't help 
but doing anything other than being faithful to his promise to his children because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who stands at the right hand of God the Father and advocates on behalf of his children and says, God, you cannot touch them on account of what I've done by way of the cross. Paul wants us to think if he's not even willing to give up his own son or spare his own son, how in the world will he not be faithful in your life to the very end? He can't be against you because God the Father was against his very own son. He's sovereign, but he's faithful and he's good. And that is precisely why the patriarch Joseph at the end of Genesis after being sold into slavery by his brothers and left for dead, is able to look at his brothers and say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And there are many times, maybe even right now, where you look at the abyss of the darkness of your world and of your life, and you wonder in the moment of darkness, is there a God, and if there is, where is he? And the children of God, resting on the firm foundation of his sovereignty, are able to look at Satan and say this, you are a loser, and you lose every time, because you meant it for evil, but my sovereign God, he meant it for good. U.S. Army First Lieutenant Todd Weaver, killed by an IED, September 2010, second tour of duty in Afghanistan. After his funeral and burial at Arlington National Cemetery, his wife, Emma, received his belongings. In his belongings was his laptop. When she opened up the laptop, she was scrolling through the documents and found a letter that he had typed out to be read in the event of his death. And this is what the letter read. Dear Emma, well, if you're reading this, I guess I didn't make it home. And therefore, I was not able to remind you again of how much I love you. I want you to know just how important you are to me. I could not ask for a more caring, beautiful, loving wife. The memories that we have shared over the last few years have been the best of my life. Although it might seem like my life was cut short, I lived a life that most can only dream of. I married the perfect woman, had a beautiful daughter that amazed me every day. Remind her about her daddy and tell her that I loved her more than anything else in the world. Her birth was the best day of my life. She was the best thing that ever happened to me. Tell her that daddy is in heaven now. And never forget that God knew what was best for us before we were ever born. Take comfort in that, Emma. My death happened for a reason, and although you might not understand it now, I pray that you will one day. And although you might think it impossible right now, have faith. Much better times are coming. You and Kylie have a wonderful life ahead, and I am so happy to have shared some of it with you. On your worst day, it is the sovereignty of God that grounds you so that your weary soul will not lose sight that he is in charge and absolutely sovereign. 
And it is my prayer that this day and tomorrow, that the truth of God being sovereign would be, ground, would be grounded and impressed into our souls to not only to believe this truth, but to influence and impact every area of our lives to live on this firm foundation so that regardless of the storm, that you're unshakable because of the great truth of the sovereignty of a good and faithful father. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, there are some here and some watching that have lived their lives by this creed. I am seeking the self-governed, self-directed life. That is an impossible life to live. And if you're here this morning listening to this message and pleading with you to surrender and run to the Father and surrender your life to the one who is perfectly sovereign but perfectly good, how do we know? Because he didn't even spare his son, his son given for you, his son given to those that come to the end and realize that they cannot save themselves. So if you are here today or listening at home, would you confess your need, repent of your sins, and look to Jesus by faith and fall into the arms of a sovereign father who is in charge, but always good and always faithful so that you can live with the assurance both today and tomorrow and forever that there is nothing and no one that could ever separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But Lord, maybe there's some here today that have been walking with Jesus for years but experience a dark season maybe full of doubt and anxiety and fear. And I pray that the sovereignty of God would not just be an intellectual exercise, but that the doctrine and foundation of your sovereignty would be impressed in deep into our weary souls and we would understand the relevance and the hope that it brings. Utter comfort in a world that can bring no comfort. Utter hope in a hopeless world. May we be the men and women of God that look at all of life, that look at our own lives through the lens that God is in charge, that he does everything, and he's faithful to his children to the very end. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our King. Amen.